Hello, audacious listeners. It's Mercy, your fave Gen Z on your fave Gen Z careers podcast, Audacity of We. Each episode, I'll be having chats about the reality, honesty, and spilling all the Gen Z tea when it comes to careers. So, let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to Audacity We, the podcast, your fave Gen Z careers podcast. And today I have a fantastic guest who I think is pretty elite in capturing motion in such brilliant ways and and using his camera. So I have Rich on the podcast today. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you for the very uh, generous introduction there. Oh, it's about to get better because I call myself a self-proclaimed CEO of Hyping Up My Friends and I like bringing that energy into my podcast and I do it with my podcast guests. So are you ready to be hyped up? Always, always. (laughs) Okay, good. I was like, there's a lot of hesitation there, but let's get into it. So I first came across Rich on the networking beast that we know as LinkedIn. And over time, I just started seeing your work a bit more, but everywhere I was like, okay, what's going on here? This seems really, really great. And I learned that you are a talented photographer with clients, including Reebok, Puma, Adidas, and capturing motion and sport and everything. I was like, wow. And there was one that I was really fascinated by was a piece of work that you did for Gymshark for Women's Day campaign. And the colors were fascinating and just really aesthetically pleasing. I was like, wow, get that printed and framed because it looks excellent. But then I looked at your account, also saw that you're Scottish. I'm from Glasgow. I have a soft spot for Scots that are doing well. And I just think it's really great to hype each other up because I think we are a humble nation and we need to break out of that in terms of making sure that we spread our talent far and wide and we can get into how you're doing that as well. And yeah, I just know you've, you know, you were in Scotland, but then you moved to London and then you are now in Barcelona and we're in August 2022. And I just think that's fascinating about all the moves you've kind of done. And I'd be really interested to know if it was more intentional or by chance, given the last two years that we've had. But yeah, Rich, I mean, as I said, I wanted to bring your accolades to the table so there's no room to be humble. And I'd love for you to come in, chat about yourself, kind of how you got into photography and how you've ended up in Barcelona today. Well, um, thank you for the introduction. Um, It's very kind of you. Um, I guess... So probably the best place to start is kind of how when I started picking up a camera in the first place, and that has kind of informed my career uh, to this point. Um, when, well, even to this present day, I still ride BMX, and uh, I kind of got into that when I was about sixteen, when I was at school still, and just met pretty much all my lifelong friends have come through riding BMX and sort of some sort of BMX connection, whether that's through skate parks or the sort of culture or network that I've made through that. And um, it comes with its inevitable pitfalls and you pick up the odd injury and stuff, but you still kind of go out on your bike and hang out with your mates and and, and whatnot. My brother at the time had a, like a really old DSLR film camera and not knowing anything about photography but just knowing that I wanted to keep myself busy and still be kind of involved in the scene I picked that up and just put it on auto and we'd take pictures of my mates and things the more I got into photography and the more I started seeing other BMX photography in say commercial and advertising spaces the more I would realize that um, there was a miscommunication between say the photographer and the BMXer where that the say the trick or the movement wasn't captured at its at its peak at its uh, you know at its greatest point it was it was 
the photographer is thinking purely about the aesthetics of the image and uh, I don't know if the BMXer wasn't able to communicate, you know, where the peak of the trick was. So that's always kind of stuck in my head. Uh, fast forward a little bit. I left school with like zero higher grades. I, I stayed on till the end of sixth year, but really nothing came of it. And I just kind of pottered around for a couple of years working in bike shops and stuff. Uh, and it wasn't until my early 20s that I thought I've got to do something and uh, signed up to Glasgow Metropolitan College. I don't know if that's still going. It's the big tall one that has the People Make Glasgow sign on it. I did a art course there, went to art school in Aberdeen after that. And uh, halfway through my visual communication degree, I started picking up the camera and using that as a tool in my degree. And uh, I was working at the skate park in Aberdeen at the same time. So the two just kind of went hand in hand and my coursework just kind of became what I was shooting, you know, shooting my mates at the skate parks, stuff like that. So one informed the other. Um, fast forward a little bit more, and I know you were saying you you kind of touched on earlier there about whether my movement has been intentional, you know, moving to London, moving to Aberdeen and everything like that. And it wasn't actually, you know, moving to London wasn't super intentional. I, I kind of fumbled my way into um, like some work experience at an ad agency in London uh, called BBH. So I stayed there for a few weeks and uh, it was all very positive. And I just kind of, at the end of my degree, I thought I'll move to London and get in touch with the folk at BBH and I'll get a job in advertising and that'll be fine. Um, it was a super naive move to London. Uh, BBH have like two different people in work experience every week throughout the year so that's like 700 candidates or whatever so so nothing materialized there but one of the art directors there gave me a piece of advice which was to you know she she saw the photos that I was taking of BMX and I was getting in magazines by this point and doing little bits of work for BMX clients um, and she kind of questioned why I wanted to get into advertising and why I wasn't pursuing photography that kind of stuck with me and by the time I got to London and uh, the ad agency thing didn't work out. At that point, I started sort of pursuing photography a bit more like professionally and uh, working in um, working in photography studios, assisting other photographers and just kind of pushing forward from there. Bit of a bit of a rant, but that should kind of bring you up to speed, I think. No, definitely. And you know what? Something that really stuck out from when you were talking about your journey is the fact that your lived experience of being on the side of the the subject matter mm. of the photography really played a strong part in how you capture movement. And I think that is what I connected with. So I did gymnastics mm. um, competitively when I was younger oh, cool. and also studied a little bit of photography, but definitely at a high school level. And I always did think that I was like, sometimes there is a disconnect, you know, when mm. they show, even when they show the sport on TV and they do the slow motion, I'm like, oh, that's not the angle where it looks good. Like, why are you capturing it that way? Yeah, so I think yeah. that really, you know, can play out and I guess how did you navigate learning and understanding that's what was missing in the work of photography per se when it came to yeah. movement and sport yeah well I would just see um I would read like the hardcore BMX magazines where the photographer might not be let's say a professional photographer they'll be a really good photographer but they'll be a BMXer first so they, they are capturing mm. the the movement 
you know, at its peak point. Um, and uh, but but commercially, if you saw, say, like I don't know, Gatorade or Lucasade or something, if they did a B, if they involved a BMXer, it wouldn't be um, at its at its peak point. And I just wanted to. I, it was almost like a subconscious thought. It, I I don't know if I if it was at the initially I don't know if it was at the forefront of my brain if it was at the forefront of my thoughts but there was something in me that was like I need to I want to learn how to light this make it look beautifully commercially as a as a photo but also for the subject to look at that and think that's a cool photo because I don't think that BMXers in this example we're looking at commercial photos from like big brands and going yeah, that's a cool photo. Oh, you know, he he caught me at the right angle. That's where it looks best from. Because there's, you'll know, with gymnastics, there's certain movement that look best from certain angles, Absolutely. and you you only know that if it's through like a lived experience, uh, and that's just gone on to inform my photography, like through the the whole of my career. If I'm working with an athlete or someone uh, who's doing any movement. I'll always try and have like a really good open dialogue with them throughout the shoot to be like, well, what do you think of that? Like um, working with sprinters, you know, they are particular about the angles of their like uh, elbows and knees as they explode out of the blocks. You know, there's a certain angle they like that makes them look powerful, which I had no idea about. But through talking to sprinters, working them, working with them on photo shoots, they've kind of been like pointed that out and I was like oh so that's what you guys are looking for right okay that's cool because I can play with that now and I can go on and and kind of work into that and we can get something where we're both really happy with the final image yeah I love that collaborative kind of um process that you've talked about because mm. I was going to ask to to tap into that a little bit more obviously you came from BMX and that kind of area of sport when did you start tapping into different um areas of sport and how was that process getting used to being like understanding where the movement is at its peak well initially it kind of goes back to when I first moved to London and I started working at photography studios uh, I started getting work with other photographers and initially it was fashion photographers and it really kind of threw my whole perspective of like what photography was I thought professional photography was purely fashion and there was nothing else luckily I met like some some good people uh, a photographer in particular called David Clarehue who uh, just so happens to be Scottish as well and just so happened to live like a few doors up from me when I first moved to London um, he at the time and still to this day was doing uh, big global commercial campaigns for brands like Adidas and he did the launch of BT Sport which I think is might still be the biggest print campaign in British history or something it was a it was a massive job but uh, his focus was was sport he would shoot you know products or athletes famous footballers or rugby players or whoever uh, for these big brands and that's really when the penny dropped for me I was like oh okay first of all a sigh of relief that I don't have to try and wedge myself into fashion or go back to Scotland um, but then also right okay there is it seems kind of obvious now when I think about it but yes there is a market for like commercial sports photography yeah 
and you know when you say like oh it seems kind of obvious now but I think it is good in terms of like job titles and job areas and things it's quite hard to know what experiences are out there especially being fresh out of university or in your early 20s when you're like you only see something that has been um brought out quite widely which is the common thread of maybe fashion photography but then all the niche kind of areas within photography and that world you step into and it's really vast and this is why i love having these conversations because i'm like yeah there is a room for commercial sport photography but some people don't know what that looks like and that's why i'm really glad to have you here and um, yeah. so let's delve into it a little bit more especially talking about the different areas that you've worked different countries that you've mm. worked in as well and where work has taken you mm. and we're going to get into our next segment called the team of gen z and we're going to look about again of the areas of migration and doing that for work and moving for a job, especially now that the world seems to be a bit more open and we can travel a lot more. I guess the first one is we talked about it quite top line at the start of was it intentional? Was it not? What led you? You know, we've talked about Scotland to London, but what led the London to Barcelona kind of phase of your career? Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Inverness, Inverness is where I grew up. Inverness to Glasgow wasn't that intentional. It was just like, I like doing art. Let's go to college. Uh, Glasgow to Aberdeen was, Glasgow Art School didn't let me in, so Aberdeen did. Um, uh, and then Aberdeen to London was a bit of like, oh, I'll go and do more work experience or get a job there. Uh, and then I was in London for 10 years and I was London's a, an incredible place but I never I never quite like connected with it mm. um as much as as, as truly as I, as I would have wanted um work-wise it's fantastic but being from the highlands you've you know when you're surrounded by big sort of city blocks and everything that's not something I I totally uh connected with um and then, uh, yeah, so the move to to Barcelona just came through a little bit of, of itchy feet and just thinking maybe try something new. I've done 10 years in London. Um, uh, things are going OK. I could probably, you know, uh, factor that in into into my work. I can jump on a flight. The flights are pretty cheap, you know, if I need to travel back to London or travel back to the UK. And uh, yeah, just sort of give it a try my partner she's completely on based online so that helps uh, it's not too much of a different uh, time zone so uh, yeah it was just a little bit of a try and see we've been here not that long uh, about a month um we're staying for three months initially um just visa wise you can only stay for three months unless you're employed specifically by someone so being self-employed but that's a whole many hours of different podcasts that I've gone through so I think it is important for people to realize like yes yeah, sunny location good vibes mm. great foods all that kind of stuff you know Barcelona tick 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 but I guess you know you did talk about the visa um, scenario and things like that but is there anything else logistical about the realities of like yeah okay you want you might want to move somewhere sunny you might want to move somewhere great but mm. think about x or think about y or think about z yeah um i mean you definitely have to think about income um it's not it's proving not as easy to uh, just get a meeting with an agency or with a client 
uh, in Barcelona, obviously there's a language difference. And when you're when you're in Barcelona, or when you're in a different country, say um, you're you have to commit to being there. You can't be half Barcelona, uh, half London, because uh, the the people in London are like, well, you're based in Barcelona, and the people in Barcelona are like, well, you're you're based in London. So um, that yeah, that's probably one of the logistical things. So. Um, depending on what your profession is or what your desired profession is, if it is completely based online and you can deliver a service purely through a computer or a laptop, then that's going to make your life a bit easier rather than providing a service. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that kind of leads into the next kind of question I had around, you know, what type of people should be considering you know, exploring different countries um, for work. And, you know, you were saying people who can work fully online, that's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Are there any other maybe tips you would give for photographers? Just making connections as far in advance as you can. Yeah, as soon as you, as soon as you're thinking of moving to a city, um, make connections with either brands that are based here that you could work with or magazines. Uh, if you're, if you're, specifically in say fashion or commercial photography make connections with uh, models makeup artists uh, stylists all that sort of stuff even like lighting rental houses and studios that's all going to help you kind of get your get your roots down in that in that place yeah that's a really great point in terms of like you know setting up stuff before you go so that you you don't get there and it's kind of like oh what am I doing so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really glad you brought that point in and you know if if you weren't looking at Barcelona where where else might you be looking you personally what other places have intrigued you yeah well it's funny you should ask because we're here just for for three months and then um we kind of have to leave I think Spain's bringing in a freelancer visa but we're looking at other places um we were looking at Bali for a bit because cost of living is really good. It's supposed to be brilliant for co-working and sort of for the digital nomad scene. And uh, my partner works in sort of health and wellness, so that works well. And obviously, um, I I photograph sort of health and wellness and sport and active lifestyles. So there would more than likely be opportunity there to to kind of pitch to brands or local people or gyms or uh with this typical clientele that i work with um but by the time three months is up sort of at the time of filming it'll be sort of like uh, october november which is like the really rainy season so mm. it's unlikely that we're going to go that direction and we're looking maybe sort of like somewhere on the same timeline so potentially cape town or somewhere else like uh, America or sort of South America stuff so it's really up in the air but um, just yeah I mean I've always been kind of very go with the flow and not too precious you know it's kind of try I I, I don't know if it's almost too relaxed or too sort of blase about things but I'm like yeah let's try there let's see how it goes Um, so long as it's not too so long as we've got everything we need there like good internet and stuff then yeah try, try out and see you know obviously be safe with it and have enough sort of in your bank account to get an emergency flight home if you need to but yeah 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, grabbing at that opportunity now, as mm. I said, given the two years that we've had, I think it's totally fair to, to go with the flow. And I love that you the world is your oyster at this point. You can really go anywhere and keep that energy. And I'm excited to see where it could be. So we'll, we'll be yeah. keeping tabs at this point. But yes. I'd love to move into a bit more. You've already shared some great advice already, but I'd love to like delve a bit more into advice going into the One Thing Handbook segment of the podcast and mm. the idea of this is that everyone listening can at least grab one piece of advice from a podcast guest as they go through the episodes and i think this will be a really great one as as a photographer and that scene and what that looks like yeah. but let's start with a bit of positivity at the top before we get into the realities and the challenges i'd love to kind of know one thing about your job that gives you joy it brings you joy and it's something you can tap into being like yep this is what i'm this is why i'm doing it yeah, so I was thinking about this earlier before we jumped on, and it's difficult to kind of pinpoint one thing. Uh, Go on, bring them all, bring as many as yeah, you can. Because, uh, yeah, because, yeah, sort of my photography journey, there's so many different things that kind of have, have brought me joy, especially, I would say, the people that you meet. Um, it's a kind of double-edged sword because as a f- sort of freelancer, self-employed person, uh, quite often you're sat sort of in your flat, kind of doing emails and trying to make these connections but there's something about a photo shoot where you have this really slow build-up of pre-production putting call sheets together mood boards building a team and then it kind of comes to this sort of crescendo on the day where it's for however long you're shooting for whether it's nine to five or shorter or longer it's it's a really intense uh moment and then and then it it finishes and you kind of move on you might even be shooting with a completely different crew the next day but definitely the meeting people is is one of the things that brings me joy specifically in photography building off from that the the execution of that photo that day you know i am providing everything goes well which it should do if you've done your homework and everything um at the end of the day, if you're kind of if the team is around a laptop or the screen and they're looking at the images and everyone is like happy and satisfied with what you've got, then there's just such a fulfilling feeling with that. That's beautiful. I think yeah. that's I, I totally hear when it's like all that hard work, all the prep, all the processes, and then yeah. it gets to the moment and you know, how does it feel when that shot that you were looking for, or maybe the shot that surprises you, how does that feel when you see it and you're like, yeah, we got it? Yeah. Yeah, it's quite funny because sometimes, like you say, it's the one that surprises you. It's not uh, the one that you that you think. Um, mm. I gave up a long time ago trying to copy shots. The temptation with photo shoots is to, is to like, oh, we've got this image here that we've sourced from the internet and we want to recreate it today because that just doesn't happen because that was a Mm. particular moment where there was a particular location, model, photographer and team behind that that created that. So I gave up a long time ago um, trying to copy images and it's always a temptation. So when you get something that is completely original, that everyone in the team has had a little hand in then yeah it's totally it's massively satisfying there's there's it's definitely that's actually probably the the drug that you chase as a photographer is to like 
get that feeling, you know, oh, and then, and then yeah. it disappears really quickly and then you like, oh, I have to get it again. <laughs> yeah, the next one. And I guess every kind of shoot will be unique, like you said, because it's a different team and the photographer mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the setting and even the atmosphere, kind of what the energy is flowing in the room. So, yeah, definitely something new every shoot, something new every day. So I, I love that. And I can imagine how it's that drug. You're like, OK, let, let's go again. What can we get next time? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that you touched on the energy there as well, because you try and kind of uh, remember what the energy was like or how you how you built the energy uh, on the day. Quite often mm. it's, you know, it's usually the, well, everyone has a has a part in it, um, but between production and the photographer who sourced the crew, um, you're kind of responsible for the energy on the day or you can have a massive mm. hand in shaping what the energy is like and um yeah could you could you expand a bit more on like the role of photographer the photographer in that kind of mm. way when it comes to building that team and and how it's like putting pieces together to create a great team structure for creating energy in the room yeah yeah so one thing that i'm huge on as a photographer is uh, test shoots so um, you, you you really get into this when you're building your portfolio you you kind of initially you shoot a little bit of everything but eventually you kind of niche down into sport or active lifestyles or, or fashion or whatever it is once you kind of once you've found your particular passion particular niche that you're passionate about um, it's so important to shoot test shoots and just work with a different crew every time see who you gel with um, constantly you know getting in touch with different uh, crew members and things and just just testing it out you know it, mm. and constantly testing whether you're testing like what's the playlist on the day you know is it more energetic is it a bit more just kind of mellow and kind of going through it and uh, you're kind of constantly mentally taking notes of like what you know what people gel with you know if it's a mm -hmm. if it's a good playlist does that kind of if it's a metal playlist do people kind of go with that or but what if you need a little bit more energy in the day then then how do you how do you build that up so yeah it's not just about um well i guess that is all part of actually taking the picture itself you know it's not just as simple as clicking the button um obviously mm. that's the biggest part of it is learning how to handle your camera and stuff but how do you set the scene uh and how do you uh, direct your models and how do you create the atmosphere to that's going to let the shot that you want flourish how are you going to yeah. how are you going to mold that exactly mm. and I guess you know thinking about you know you've got a big shoot coming up and then you're talking about the preparation that goes beforehand especially test shoots and building that team like how long is that process for you I can imagine it varies but like I guess is there an average of how long that process is for you yeah it does it does vary um Ideally, you want probably like at least two weeks in advance to kind of get get the team and stuff that you want. Mainly, that's because everyone's freelance, or the majority of people on the shoot will be freelance, so um, people get booked up, and you want to you want to get the right people involved. So you want to get in there as early as possible to to book them on the day. Um, depending on how complicated the shoot is, you might spend a day kind of sourcing crew, you might spend some more time sourcing uh, more physical things like studios, lighting, uh, set design, uh, clothing, stuff like that. So um, it, it can really vary, it can really vary. 
Um, but yeah, two weeks is ideal. And then you want to spend like a good few days putting everything together. Yeah, great. Preparation yeah. is key is what, is what I'm hearing. But yeah. I'd love to get into, you know, more of the, the challenges and, and the realities because, you know, some people don't like to talk about that, but that's what we're here for. Yeah, and yeah. I'd, I'd love for you to kind of chat about what is kind of one thing you've learned is a career watch out when it comes to photography being like, if there's anything you should think about to watch out mm. for, it's this. Yeah, so I, um, well, I'm kind of, I've, I've just done my route, so I can only speak from my experience. There's so many Absolutely. different routes. <clears throat> yeah, there's so many different routes into photography, um, but I'm a big advocate of uh, assisting other photographers assisting in studios particularly if you want to go down the commercial and advertising route I feel like having a sort of um, backseat view of that going on so if you work in a studio you might just be making people tea and sort of folding up the light stands and stuff but you can observe you know the dynamic between the photographer and the model and the photographer and the client and uh, the client and the model you can you can observe all that stuff um, so I'm a big advocate of that, but, but on the flip side of that, there is the potential to kind of get taken advantage of a little bit. Um, it's, I'm not yeah, sure if it's... let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not so sure if it's still the norm anymore, but definitely when I started assisting sort of like 10 years ago, you would do, you would kind of do the first day for free. You know, if you were assist, if a photographer sort of came up to you and you had next to no experience, um, you would do the first day for free, which I'm kind of okay with. Um, but then on the flip side, I'm like, you're still a human being. You, mm. it's still your time. Your time is valuable regardless of your experience. And if you're there and you're capable of helping in any way, whether that is running to the shop to get someone a lemon tea or whatever or holding a stand or carrying the stands up the stairs or, or whatever it might be you're still uh, kind of your time is still worthy of pay um for me I did the first I did sort of for some free days and uh, I remember one photographer in particular I think I it was the fourth uh, shoot I had assisted him on for free and it was good clients. Um, it was big high street fashion brands, you know, so there was money floating around, um, especially mm -hmm. for an assistance rate, which were, at the time was like £60 a day. Um, but it was the fourth day and it was still, I was still working for free. And um, I, I remember hearing him in the distance turning to this, the studio owner who I knew asking uh, to what my name was and I just thought I've done four days for free wow. and you don't yeah. know what my name is and and uh, yeah needless to say that was the last time that I that I spoke to him and uh, yeah it's just and then on the flip side of that you have to remember that as you kind of progress through your own career not to treat people like that and to obviously be sort of compassionate and kind to people and sort of respectful of their time as well as you kind of go through things yeah yeah I totally resonated with your point in terms of like like at the end of the day we're all human beings like if you yeah. are capable of doing the work and brought onto a project or a job 
to do the work like mm -hmm. why shouldn't someone be rewarded and then when it's big clients in the mix as well the question starts floating around more um yeah. so yeah i totally agree with the the value part and i think it's a very important for gen z and and generations even millennials and, and older generations like seeking seeing your value and like understanding mm -hmm. that your value and your time is really important as much as the big client or the person on the other side so definitely i agree yeah. it's a watch out and it's a tricky area as well because how do you rise in the ranks or, or get more known and things and how do you balance all of that yeah it's um and it's it's a similar chain of thought that you kind of need to remember throughout your whole career like as a photographer you'll get or as self anyone self-employed they'll get questioned and squeezed potentially on their rates and what they charge and you just have to remember that um your chances are you're working you're going to be employed by a, a big company or you're going to be commissioned by mm. a big company and uh, as a photographer you're the assets that you're creating are become the sort of pivot point or one of the main sort of pillars of the product that they sell so mm. uh, when you start to get squeezed uh, on your value then you you have to remember that that what you're creating is is valuable otherwise you wouldn't yeah. be having that discussion in the first place so they obviously do value the thing mm. um, but you just have to remember that you just have to know your worth and stand your ground yeah and i was gonna say do you have any advice about you know standing your ground and kind of knowing that value and sticking to it when you start mm. getting squeezed in, in these challenging conversations rates is just uh, absolute minefield everyone asks me about rates and everything um so for me the best way to figure out your rates is put all your expenses uh, like tally up all your expenses including your rent and your equipment um, so often for photographers, it's expected of them to have equipment uh, without sort of people realizing that cameras cost two, three, four thousand pounds. Plus, you've got lenses, mm. you've got cables, you've got, you know, an absolute shed full of stuff just to, to get there. Um, so, tally all that up and, you know, figure out what the rates are. Uh, for example, like to hire a camera from a lighting or a camera rental place in London, you might be 100 to 300 pounds. And that's the sort of typical camera that photographers are expected to have. So factor that in to your costs and kind of divide that by the months, the days in the month. And that's your daily cost of living. Um, and that should kind of give you your base rate. And uh, mm. you just kind of have to stick to it. I guess the best piece of advice um, would be to kind of try and have a fail safe, have something going on in the background that is paying your bills, keeping the lights on mm. and everything. So when you do get squeezed, you have a little bit of like, you have a bit of power because yeah. when you're relying on, uh, you know, the next commission coming in, you're, you're desperate. You, okay, you know, someone wants you to knock 50% off you'll do it because at the end of the day at least you're going to get paid but if you've got something taking over in the background then mm. um, then that's going to kind of give you a bit of peace of mind and then and then with that you're a happier person and you end up creating better work and so that creates more demand and everything 
kind of flows from there. And that, you know, to be completely honest, that's something that I'm constantly working on myself. Like um, there was a period there when I finished assisting and started shooting my own stuff where I was like, I'm just going to shoot my own stuff. And that's basically where that experience comes from. Is like I put myself in a corner that way. And then I would, uh, and then I began to pick up like the odd assisting bit or video editing or just something that could be a bit more regular uh, that's going to kind of pay the bills. Yeah, definitely. And I love how you, you talked about kind of the emotional side of it as well. And that if you feel more secure, then you will produce better work because you just feel happier and you feel like you're more able and more energy to do that. So mm -hmm. I think that's a great point that you brought. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to kind of go into a bit, a bit more in terms of people who are starting out and, you know, people who are thinking about photography. What is one thing you wish you knew? when you started your career, if you were to go back to, you know, entering the world of photography, what's one thing you wish someone told you? I guess we kind of uh, touched on it there in that there's only a certain amount of like stick, uh, to mm -hmm. use a polite word, that you that you have to take, you know, when you're, when you're just starting out. Um, when you're just starting out, you're trying to get your foot in the door everywhere and everywhere seems like an opportunity and there to an extent you have to kind of grab any opportunity that comes your way but um, I guess just being switched on and uh, knowing when you're being taken advantage of you know mm. like try and as, as a creative it's there's the creative mindset and uh, a lot of creatives don't have a business mindset and it's definitely I mean that's something that I'm constantly working on evaluating and trying to progress myself um because as a creative you're just happy to be to be doing the work um but the more you can assess you know the who you're who you're working with who you're dealing with um what their motivation might be then the more you can kind of stand true to your uh, beliefs the more you the more you can kind of believe in yourself and yes grab every opportunity when you're starting out but there has to be a, a limit as well yeah definitely especially when you're when you're younger and just hungry mm. to like do everything it's like hold yeah. on you know yeah. definitely know what and it's good to like know the parameters to that as well in terms of protecting your own space and like your own even your mental health and things like that because it can get really crazy so it's good to set those boundaries almost for yourself yeah absolutely so we're going to move on to kind of looking at your peers in the industry and just what you've seen around mm. and and the way mm. that people move in the, the world of photography. What is one thing you wish that your peers would that they would do better in this industry? Yeah, I mean, I didn't intend on this, but it's a kind of becoming a common thread through this conversation is uh, be a I th and I definitely think the mentality has changed or is changing in recent years. Um, but just being a bit more mindful and respectful of everyone's time and mm. their effort. Um, the 90s and the early 2000s were a whole different world. And I worked with some photographers who were big in that era and they were kind of their careers were maybe you know, they were heading towards sort of retirement and stuff just as I was starting and I worked with them and they definitely had that sort of like brash, uh, really hard mentality um, where mm -hmm. 
you know, they would, and, and I started my career quite late. I didn't start assisting until I was 27. And um, so I was a little bit older for uh, than most assistants. So having someone like clap their hands at you and tell you to hurry up, you know, is mm. like a bit of a shock and a bit of like quite degrading almost. Um, so I do think that attitudes are changing. Um, but just being a bit more mindful and respectful of other people's uh, times and also trying to like seek out pe- people who just need uh, the opportunity it's not mm. easy for everyone to kind of get into photography cameras are expensive uh, London is a crazy expensive city but that for the UK is like the the hub of the advertising and commercial and fashion world so it's not easy to live there so um, yeah just being kind of mindful of that respectful of that and kind of giving opportunities rather than just being like they got in touch so they get the job yeah definitely and I love when there's a common thread and a common theme that comes through (laughs) in the handbook tying everything together but I hear it I hear when you're talking about respect respectful of others but also respect of like yourself and your value and your time Mm -hmm. and everything like that so I think that wraps up really nicely and definitely appreciate you for um, contributing to the one thing handbook but I mean, we're getting into the next segment, which is a bit of a game, a lot, a bit of fun to um, get into this part of the podcast. And it's called Keep or Delete. The idea of the game is that you have three topics that I'm going to throw your way and you have to choose whether you keep it or you delete it. So you keep it. It's a bit of you. It's something you want. If you were to build an ideal world, you want this in that world or you delete it. It's out the window. It's gone and it's not in the ideal world okay are you ready okay, cool yeah <laughs> okay yeah so the first one is seafood would you keep or delete seafood well delete come because i'm vegan so oh well there you go that's an easy <laughs> one <laughs> that was an easy one there you go completely <laughs> easy and um, vegan so deleting seafood quick off the bat and I think I have to agree I mean seafood's not my kind of ideal cuisine if you will Mm. if that if it is even as a cuisine but Mm. yeah I agree so we can live in an ideal world together so far this is this is what's going on let's get into the second one we're going to talk about Scotland for a little bit there's two cities I feel are are rivaling each other at times Mm -hmm. many times Edinburgh versus Glasgow you have to keep one and you have to delete the other what are you doing might be a little bit biased because i've lived in glasgow for a little bit but i'd have to keep glasgow definitely i wholeheartedly agree also biased because i live here but i 100 percent agree with keeping glasgow i just think there's so much that goes on in glasgow so many events there's just a lot more i don't know vibes people like i think it's just a really fun city so Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. The the people make Glasgow, as they say. Exactly. Totally agree. Okay, this is smooth sailing so far, but let's <laughs> not um get ahead of ourselves because we have one more to go. Would you keep or delete cruises? Cruises, as in cruise ships. Yep. Like going on a cruise. That's your holiday. I am. Um... But like a little bit of context, okay, before I give okay. my answer, because this could be complicated. <laughs> but um, because we're in Barcelona in uh, August, there, there's so many cruise ships like docking here and they are massive. 
massively mm. like 20 30 stories or beyond and uh, we went on the cable cars the other day and we went over the top of what the virgin voyager or whatever it's called swimming pools and all this basketball courts and tennis courts i'm gonna say it looked awesome so i would keep okay. Keep really them. okay yeah. do you know what that's fair now that i guess you've been like had a bird's eye view or whatever of it mm -hmm. and you can you were maybe influenced but i have to say this is where we diverge this is where we <laughs> have to be create our own world because i just don't yeah. get cruises i don't no. understand why you would want to be floating in the middle of an ocean i know i know and if you asked me <laughs> last week i would say the same but Oh, I've kind of seen one. Well, now. we should have recorded a week ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, do you know what? That's completely fine. Cruises have to have an advocate somewhere, so you can be that person for now. There you go. And, My and flag. <laughs> yeah, waving your flag for the yeah. cruise ships. But I get, I mean, people use them and people enjoy it. So having everything in one place is something that people love, I guess. Um, and yeah. in the middle of an ocean is just my caveat of not understanding why, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, I haven't been on one yet, yeah. um, but there has to be a ton of stuff to do because if you're at sea for like three or four days with like 10,000 strangers or however many people get uh -huh. on those things, yeah, there's got to be a lot to do. Right, yeah, keep you entertained. Mm. I also think just because it's on a ship, there's a limit to what facilities can look like and that just gives me yeah. pause. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, Do you get my the, the, bas the basketball court is the one that surprised me. It's like, how does that mm. work when you hit a wave? The ball bounces around. Exactly. What if it, how many basketballs are in the ocean at this point? Like, mm, exactly. these are the questions we should be asking. <laughs> exactly. There's a dolphin basketball team somewhere. Absolutely. Right. Brilliant. Underwater. That's what we should be exploring. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I think we got through that relatively smoothly, not very contentious. Mm -hmm. You know, we both decided we're deleting seafood and that's mm -hmm. fine for different reasons, but good reasons. Yep. Um, we're keeping Glasgow because, in, in my opinion, it's obvious. Like, yeah. it's very obvious. There's, and then cruises, yeah. mm, you know, this one or the other. You can yeah. you can have cruises and I'll, I'll yeah. stay away. I'll stay on land as well. Yeah, do. yeah. So, I mean, I, the episode's coming to a close, which is a bit of a shame because I've been really enjoying our conversation and yeah. I would love to chat about, you know, what, what's next for you, Rich? What, what are you looking ahead to? What do you hope in the future for your career? Good question. Um, yeah, just, <laughs> just, um, just looking to, my aim is to just kind of get the feel for this sort of like living abroad, traveling, seeing how well I can make a go of it I um, touched on it earlier but as well as photography I've started doing little bits of video editing that's a skill that I'm looking to to develop um, and that massively helps because there's a big push for photographers to kind of start producing moving image as well so I think that could kind of help tie a little bow mm. in my sort of set of skills and that's a whole different another podcast is moving image and everything like that um, so yeah just looking to to develop that and uh, learn how to kind of be anywhere doing photography work and kind of how that works how does it work if i suddenly pack my bags tomorrow and go to a new city somewhere how mm. quickly and efficiently can you can i kind of 
learn how to what clients to get in touch with to be producing work and that because yeah I mean that would be an amazing skill to have yeah that's amazing Mm. I love how you're just open to continually learning like that's what I'm hearing like you just want to continue to learn continue to grow build on your skills and and the type of work that you produce which is really a never-ending journey and I think that's Mm. great that you have that mindset thank you thank you yeah I mean you you have to evolve evolve or die (laughs) yeah exactly right that's that's what we need to be going with 100 percent. and I mean I guess with your work especially since it's so visually pleasing like Mm. where can people go to find and follow your work um so probably the three best places would be my website which is richmckeever.com or richmckeeverphoto richmckeever.photo sorry um my Instagram, which is instagram.com slash photo, And then I've been producing more stuff on YouTube as well recently. So that's a mixture of just vlogs, kind of so nice to have like a catalogue of videos that I can look back on in years and be like, oh yeah, that's how I navigated that. And um, But also on there, I produce stuff like behind the scenes videos and sort of technical reviews and stuff and tutorials and kind of talk through much like we've done on this podcast kind of talk through my experience and my uh, career and yeah kind of that's probably the main three instagram youtube and my website amazing so you know where to find rich on all these different platforms and for audacity we we are also on social platforms including linkedin and instagram as audacity of we our episodes come out on spotify apple Podcasts, and amazon music and if you have any questions for me please do email me at audacity at gmail.com and we can get in touch but rich thank you so so much for being on this episode i love diving in the, into the world of photography thought you brought great insight and i'm really glad that you could join me yeah thanks for having me and again like as you were saying um if anyone who's listened uh wants has any questions for me or any questions about starting a career in photography yeah just reach out and i'll do my best amazing so you know where to reach us both and i will catch everyone on the next episode